I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Today, I'm joined by Alisa Muscolin, Executive Vice President of Sustainability for Sage, the integrated accounting, payroll, and payment systems market leaders supporting the ambition of the world's entrepreneurs. With a mission to transform the way people think and work and enable organizations to thrive, Sage grew from a small business itself to one of the UK's most successful scale-up stories and a member of the FTSE 100 with 11,000 employees around the world. Alisa joined Sage from Santander, where she was head of sustainability and prior to that, a sustainability and CSR specialist and project manager at Vodafone. Today, she's also a board member for the Chartered Banking Institute. But if you thought this was where this story began, you'd be wrong because it begins with a trip to Ecuador, age 16, where Elisa said it changed her life and made sustainability her mission. Elisa, welcome to Changemakers. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, listen, a pleasure to meet you. Not least because I've really enjoyed our off-air conversation, meeting a true citizen of the world, born in Italy, works in London, life-changing experience experiences in Ecuador. Like, where should we start this story? Maybe we start in Ecuador. Oh, well, that was a long time ago. But yeah, so I, I won a scholarship and spent about a year of my life in a very remote village in the Andean in Ecuador, 3000 meters high, really lovely <laughs> little pueblo. Yeah, so, you know, I went there as a young European without really uh, knowing what I was getting myself to. You know, I have a fairly humble background. I always consider my family, you know, oh gosh, we are, we can't afford as much. And, and I arrived there and my perspective completely changed. I realized that I was a very rich and titled European, suddenly. <laughs> and as a young person, I met a young boy who was cleaning shoes, seven-year-old, who, who looked like a very old man somehow. And I kind of realized that there was something utterly wrong with the world we lived in. As a very young person, you know, I was an adolescent, barely 16-year-old. I It kind of hit me that I wanted to do something to change that. So I went back. I continued my study. I graduated in diplomacy. Tried that out. I, I must confess, you know, fantastic parties, the best parties I've ever attended, but not really no. the world for me. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, diplomatic Diplomatic parties. To break out the Ferrero Rocher there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, diplomacy is absolutely needed, but I wanted to be where the action was and mm. where I could feel that in day in, day out, I could make a difference in the real world and I could see the impact. So I started to think about where can I do that? And I realized that you know businesses have a lot of capital with that goes a lot of power and I that's where I started to, to kind of play with uh, sustainability and realize that uh, that can really change the world and and it's interesting because you know I, I get to interview a lot of younger leaders in senior roles and you know previous versions of themselves may have gone to work in NGOs or worked in the diplomatic service or in government if they wanted to change things that was the traditional route to doing so you seem to be emblematic of a very ambitious wave of people that see business as the tool to affect change. What was the sort of light bulb moment for you to realize, well, actually, if I really want to want to do this, if I, you know, that actually there is room for an activist like myself within a corporation and within an organization which is there to make profits, not necessarily seen as purposeful in the first instance. Yeah, like I think that for me, it was quite logic. It was <laughs> business, businesses have a lot of capital and they they run economies and they're very important to the the you know the the well-being of uh, of societies. Mm. So I think I fundamentally believe that if they do the right thing, if they uh, behave ethically, they can be a force for good. The other thing also that I say is that people like myself need to choose carefully the companies that they go to work for and 
with that, I mean, yes, you can choose to go and work for, for an amazing B Corp, which is like the fair trade and very, you know, sustainable brand. How much different are you going to make there? So I would encourage people like myself to pick a fight and go where, you know, uh, and that's somehow how I ended up in the financial services sector. Or, or go in companies that need really your help to, you know, transform and do business differently. And that's yes. kind of what has been driving me. And it's interesting because I was going to, this is exactly what I was going to ask you. You know, you, you've chosen to cut your teeth with businesses like Santander, businesses like Vodafone, now Sage. What's been the cultural journey that I suppose you've had to go on in terms of coming into this with a very much an activist mindset and over the period of time that you've worked with these organizations have you seen the the mindset of business change yeah so like people like myself are kind of activists in a suit um we we infiltrate companies and support them to think differently when i recruit build teams i always look for people with very strong business acumen because you do need to be an activist in a suit you need to, you need to understand business and you need to put sustainability at the heart of the business strategy and look one of the best examples in my career so far has been working with Vodafone in Kenya, mm-hmm. where I work with M-Pesa. M-Pesa stands for mobile money. It is a mobile platform, bank mobile platform that uh, helps people to transfer money and do nowadays uh, a million other things. But it has really increased financial inclusion in Kenya and now other countries. But it, what it has also done is really represents nowadays a lot of the revenues of the company. That's a great example of great businesses, but also great societal outcomes. And I think to answer your question, Michael, that that's for me what I've been after and what I'm after every time I go and support a company in their sustainability journey. How can I make that company mm. better fit for the future? But but, but I, th- I guess people listening to this will, will think, you know, you're the real deal. I mean, just listening to your language, I infiltrate companies. I mean, you know, there's kind of like, it's almost like the, you know, the, the, the subversive, the kind of the, the, the revolutionary, the contrarian, however you sort of look at it is that in in, in many respects, a lot of people are saying, well, look, company cultures have got to change. It's not good enough to just have strategies which are fine sounding and big picture. And it reminds me of that that sort of famous Peter Drucker quote that, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. What's the culture that you've had to change and how easy has it been doing so? And do you get frustrated in that process? I mean, it's an incredibly frustrating job, <laughs> change, trying to change the world, uh, that is. But it's also incredibly fulfilling. And look, I think you, you've got to kind of uh, make a bit of a compromise. I, I, yes, I say, I say you need to choose companies that need that change. And therefore, you know, you need to pick a battle and and there, and choose. I think for me, at least, it's been where can I make that have the highest impact? But I always have been lucky enough to go for uh, and work for a company who gave me that mandate to do so. And, and I think that's very important. So that was true when I went. For, for Vodafone as well at Santander and now at, at Sage. You know, when I uh, now joined Sage six months ago, I had a good chat with, uh, with Steve, our CEO, and other leadership team and I, and I, and I, you know, shared my vision and tried to understand what was the appetite. And, and I think that, you know, the, the answer I got is we absolutely think this is the right thing to do. We want to do it. We don't know how. Come and help us. Mm. You know, for, for Santander, they, you know, it was like, we, we actually don't really know what we've got to do, but we know we've got to do it. Now, that mandate is very important and is one that you have to earn over time and maintain over time. It doesn't necessarily make your life always easier because there's still resistance and, uh, you know, it's easy to say yes, but then when you present the bill or when you've got to really change things, you know, change takes time. But having that strong mandate from the top and 
and then you know continue to convince people taking the board with you on the journey taking colleagues with you that's really what makes the difference when when do you know you're winning how how do you know you're winning i, I think that it's in the it's in the small i would say things is and sometimes in the big so for me is when colleagues across the business start to reach out to the esg team to an extent that you can't turn around the emails anymore and, and you are far too busy and you need to start thinking about a new operating model that's usually when you know that you've started to turn the dial and turn the page and you know it takes a bit of time because typically sustainability teams start as a bit of an in parallel ground floor type of activity and that was more true you know 10 years ago than now but you know you start a bit under the radar but if you do this right you start to get really busy and colleagues across the business will reach out to you because they seek that expertise because they've been given a mandate or mm. it's within their objective that they need to deliver in this agenda and they need subject matter expertise they still they start to reach out to you because they need more training and that's when you know that you start, you're starting to transform a company, the way it operates and the right. people that, that belong to it. Do you think, Alicia, in your, your kind of work is that, I mean, as well as the, the practicalities of what good sustainability might mean and is in practice, you're also a kind of moral compass for a business in terms of knowing that it's doing the right thing. And, and if so, how, how do you hold that culture to account? Because it strikes me that, you know, you're, you're a person that has got, a, a deep-rooted commitment and comes at this from an, a position possibly of environment first and business second. Presumably, you will meet people that will come at this from a position of business first. How does that How does that play out in terms of accountability and how you use your role to hold the powerful to account? Uh, well, Michael, I think that I'll disagree with you and make this even more interesting. <laughs> Go for it. I, I don't think that it's actually a trade-off as much as people would, would think it is. I, For me, business comes first. Right. And, 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 and I surprised everyone because, you know, people, you're right, you know, people do tell me, you know, they expect me to turn up on a, <laughs> you know, in a meeting or, uh, uh, or in a conference and say, we've got to save the planet, we've got to respect human rights at the expenses of business. And uh, you know, I was just recently done a, a, a leadership conference at Sage and, and started by saying this is not just the, the right thing to do. It's also the smart business mm-hmm. thing to do. And actually, you know, we if we are not sound financially, we're not sustainable. You know, financial sustainability is is a duty, is a principal duty for our business. And when I talk about who I serve, uh, I serve my shareholders, yeah, and and, mm-hmm. and that is a very important stakeholder group for me, along with the rest of the stakeholders, our communities, our people, the society, the planet, uh, our colleagues. They are all equally important. I, 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 by the way, I buy into that 100. percent You know, I, I've often felt that you know those that see profit and purpose as a kind of trade-off with each other and missing the circularity is that you know purposeful companies. I think can and will and should be more successful. But you you will know as well as anyone that, you know, there are business answers which lead to greenwashing and lead to lead to things which are not sincere, you know, sort of commitments, uh, but but just the the need to be seen to be doing things rather than actually doing the things that matter. What I'm sort of wondering is that what gets you behind or, you know, fine sounding speeches, commitments from CEOs into really good practices 
when you work within an organization, say, you know, say for in the example of Sage, where you've got 11,000 people around the world? Yeah, so that, that is people like me and the solid ESG team at the core. So it, it's easy. And, and look, you know, it's easy to make a commitment to net zero, especially when, uh, you know, you know, the tenure of most of the leaders and CEOs doesn't really get to 2050. Does it? So what's hard is to actually deliver ear on ear on that commitment. And what it takes uh, is a couple of things. One is a uh, is authentic commitment, but two, it takes uh, a team of subject matter experts that can help the company to to get there and put in place the right plans, uh, the right tools and frameworks uh, to guide the company there. I always say there is a bit of a fine line between, uh, you know, what is and isn't greenwashing. There are a couple of ways, uh, Michael, to set a target, yeah, especially in my world. One is a very methodical, you draw a plan, you know exactly how you're going to get there, and then you set a target that is achievable, realistic, and it makes you comfortable. That's wonderful when you can do that. Mm -hmm. The other way of setting a target is a bit of a more aspirational way. That is, look, guys, we've got to get to net zero. don't know how, but I trust that we'll figure it out. And I want you, as the CEO can say, I want you to figure it out. Now go got the license. I've committed to it. I'll hold you all accountable for it. Figure it out. You're the expert. Now, you could call that greenwashing and it is greenwashing unless you really put all your efforts and the machine of the company behind this effort of trying to figure out how do we solve some of these pressing challenges and climate is one but there are tons of others mm. well i mean and you know and I, was, I was just thinking about the others you know and i was thinking about that from the perspective of the sustainable development goals and you know the world has set itself the target of 2030 for for good reason because you know there is a great sense of the world running out of time and many many of the people i'm sure that that you will will know and, and and will respect will say well look you know the world is not doing enough it's not doing it quickly enough capital is not following the idea in in with enough sort of force or intent and so when you look at things like you know your own net zero pledge is not 2030 it's 2040 i mean it's kind of like do you think that the the fierce sense of urgency and i'm thinking about what would the what would the person that went to ecuador tell the person that sat working at stage in terms of what needs to be done and how much urgency needs to be thrown into the process of getting it done. The person who went to Ecuador learned the hard way that you've got to walk before you can run and that you do need to wear a suit figuratively. You've got to become a business person. And if you look, I I truly welcome and respect the efforts of some of the activists groups. And I think they have an incredibly important role to play. But if I go and put the business in front of impossible choices, unrealistic choices, I lose credibility and I'll never make any progress. Some progress is better than progress. And then you get momentum and you can build on it. You know, I've learned this, you know, as a young person, when I entered the business, you know, with a lot of enthusiasm, but um, but you also need in business in the real world, a lot of pragmatism to get yeah. things really done in real life. Now, don't get me wrong, it's it's still important that activists do the job of activists. And, you know, I believe that uh, people like myself are silently rooting for them, throwing eggs at us, so that then we have an excuse to ring up our PR team and our CEO and say, well, they're throwing eggs at us. That's not really good, right? So let's do more of this. Are you, are, you ever, are you ever frustrated by them? Do you ever just think, look, these people just are unrealistic, they don't get it? Or, 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 or do you actually think they are the necessary, you know, sort of like grit in the oyster? 
as I said, I think everyone has a role to play and their role is the one of no compromises. That's why they call activists and, you know, and, and putting pressure and that pressure is important. Do some of the, the asks fall short of realism and, and, and have implications that, that, you know, they may not consider yet, but it's a matter if, if the throwing eggs still gets us to a conversation at board and a board training on climate change, so be it. Right. I mean, it's on the job. But, but I think you would also recognize yourself as a corporate activist. And I suppose the, the question that I would, would ask you is that I suppose your experience of working in business is that it's given you a valuable lesson in perspective. You know, how do you carry people with you? How do you carry organizations into sort of a positive arena of change? But I suppose with that, how do you know that you are doing enough in that role in terms of being that agitator for change when you have you know you've you talked about being the activist in the suit but how do you make sure that the suit doesn't take over the activist it's a fine balance and i think sometimes uh, you let one win more than the other you've got to you know you pick your battles sometimes i call it the sustainability tango you need to uh, know that you're going to be moving five steps ahead a couple lateral oh no two steps back but as long as you are guiding the choreography, the choreography is right, then you're doing the right thing. And look, we are dealing with complex issues, complex organizations. So you do need to, to take people along with you. And that does require a very carefully thought strategy that really takes them with with you on the journey, but also goes far because sometimes, you know, the, the trouble now, I coach a lot of my teams on this. Sometimes the trouble with rushing ahead is you rush ahead mm. and there's no one behind. No behind you, yeah. I, but I, also, I, I, and sorry, now we are going a bit on geopolitics, but I think some of the issues on inequalities and, and populism as well are the results of us maybe not taking with us the whole population. And I mean, the perfect example on this is a transition to net zero, right? And you'd think that someone like me goes transition at, at all cost but actually we often talk about a just transition and transitioning at the right pace in the right way is as important as the transition in itself because if i switch completely everything every source of energy off today that is not fully green the world would stop and we can't afford that what we've got to do is to do it in a just way and in a rapid way so no excuses absolutely but in a way that takes everyone with us and doesn't create more inequalities yeah, than the one that's trying to address. And, and I suppose there must be a constant internal battle that you go through. I mean, I was reading how you wrote that you know, businesses must avoid quickly versus properly. But but every activist is also in a hurry, aren't they? I mean, I, I, there's, there's the wonderful Martin Luther King phrase of the fierce urgency of now. You know, that I, yeah. the idea that actually we need. To, and, and I suppose what we're talking about is the balance between getting things done rather than just making a point. And I was reading something quite interesting in sustainability. And it said that, you know, what you've got at the moment is this kind of you know, the battle between poetry and plumbing. And the poetry is the fine sounding speech making and the hyperbole, if you like. And the plumbing is actually, well, let's get things done. Let's make things happen. Let's sort of like join the world up, actually sort of make sustainability sustainability a reality not just a fine sounding intention you've been in the business of getting things done and 
I'm sure that there will be people listening to an interview like this saying, well, what are the steps to getting it right, being a sustainable business? I mean, what's the advice you'd give to, to people in authority, leaders listening to a conversation like this that would go, well, actually, what should I really be doing? Oh, it's very simple. It's like any other business strategy. The first thing you do is you make sure that you've got the right resources in place, that being the right people and uh, in the right place with the right skill set and expertise and the adequate budget. Now, that is true for anything you want to do in business. It's simple business logic. Nothing happens unless you've got the right people and the right budget in place. Now, the right people in so, place so will tell resor- you. Resources. Resources, both people right. and, and money. And and people is important. Yeah, so ESG, and, and, I, and I, I'm very vocal about this, is not something you invent is not a title that you add to your job title in the six in the past six months because it it, it became fashionable, but it, it's a skill set. You do need a trustworthy, credible subject matter expertise. So I think that's that's crucial. That's very important. And, and those people will tell you that the next thing you do is you do a robust, solid materiality metrics assessment on which then you build your sustainability strategy. So a sustainability strategy shouldn't be based on opinions, but on facts and insights. The same way that you know you don't wake up today and say that. Oh, this is what I'm going to sell and this is the pricing I'm going to set, but you do adequate market research and an understanding of your environment to to understand what should be your business priority and how do you capture that and and respond to market trends. Then the the next phase is setting the right goal and targets that possibly are on a longer term path and view and having the right governance in place. Now, you know, having a, a board level committee or a board that is engaged on this agenda is incredibly important. And then the fourth thing that goes along is uh, training. Mm. Uh, you do need to upskill colleagues and, and the board. The board needs to be brought at a level that they can ask the right questions. Um, they don't need to be experts, but they need to understand enough to ask you the right questions. A board that asks the wrong question can really derail you. But also you need to upskill colleagues in uh, so that they can... Look, sustainability is not delivered by Elisa and her small team. The agenda is far too vast. And when we talk about integrating sustainability in the business, the key is to upskill colleagues across the business for them to be able to really bring it to life. So, so these are some of the, the key things that I'd suggest uh, on, on how you go about I, it, really. And I think they're good, very practical steps. I think people will get a lot out of that. Now, we're almost out of time, Elise, and I've, so I'm going to ask you three quick-fire converse, uh, uh, questions, which I, I'm going to encourage you to give us um, your thoughts on. You've got a super tip for life from your grandmother. Do, do you remember what it was, I I can read it to you, or, or do you have it to hand? Yeah, I think it was that nothing is permanent, isn't it? Uh, uh, except for from death. <laughs> yeah, and and I, and I think you know you you know you get frustrated with the pace you get frustrated sometimes uh, some of the results but nothing is permanent so yeah. you've got to keep that in mind and keep trying and drive the change that uh, you want to see to quote uh, uh, gandhi you, well i mean and, and to quote your grandmother as well as gandhi i mean I'm, I'm just looking at the quote here just death is permanent everything else you can change or do something with i thought I thought that was really arresting. And and of course, you, you've, you've then got a, a great quote for life, which I think is possibly a, a, a very good um, companion piece where you said, try your best to leave things a bit better than you found them. Yeah, well, that's the kind of spirit of uh, uh, of my job, right? So um, I I do everything I can every day I wake up to try and, you know, help in this case, Sage, but uh, all the stakeholders that we touch to embark in this sustainability journey. And I hope that, you know, at a certain point of my career and life, I can come back home to my son, look at him in, in his uh, in his face and say, look, mommy, 
has done her best. Now it's your turn. But I've tried to live it a bit better than I found it. And I have to finish with your son because, of course, he has curated your uh, your list, your sort of um, your your playlist for today. One of the one of the better playlists. Speaking as a as a dad myself, I recognise all of these. I don't always recognise the, uh, the 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 songs. Do you do you do you, uh, do, you ha- do you have them to hand, Elisa? Shall I shall I read them out for you, or have you got? I them know, I, uh, I know uh, my you know? son's playlist. <laughs> so, you know, from uh, the Wills on the Bass at the moment yes. is one of our favourites. We've got whatever we got there. Oh gosh, you got Twinkle. Twinkle, little star. Oh, twinkle, yeah. twinkle, yes. Which <laughs> persecutes me if by any chance I, I wake up in the night and I can't sleep. That's what I'm singing in my head. It's a bit of fun, another favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, but he, like, to a certain I, extent, I think that people and leaders uh, uh, have a, you know, a big question to answer every time we go to the office is what, what will our legacy be? I agree with so, that. I mean, and I suppose, you know, any parent with kids of a certain age will have had those songs drilled into their mind through the various things. But I suppose the, my my last question to you then is that, you know, what's your message to your son? I mean, what's your message about the world you're trying to create? I mean, he might come and listen to this podcast in years to come. Where, where would you leave it? What would, your, what would your message be? Well, I hope that, as I said before, that I will be able to tell him I've done everything I could every day and every minute that I didn't spend with you, I spent trying to leave a better world behind for you. And now it's your turn to take over and do exactly the same because we all have a collective responsibility for the world we live in. Lovely. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you, Michael. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? 